An incredible picture of Jesus in the tabernacle, next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. to be with you and welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher and before we get into our message, Pastor Ed is with me in the studio. Pastor Ed, we're about to continue your mini-series on Jesus and the Tabernacle and maybe some of our listeners are wondering, why take some extra time to consider this subject in great detail? Would you address that before we get into our message? Well, Larry, we believe in teaching the whole counsel of God. That's our ministry. The way that we apply that and execute that is that we teach through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation. Every, Every book of the Bible, every chapter, every verse. And many churches haven't done that, and because of that, they have a very a deep lack of understanding the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. And even in a church like ours, where we do teach verse by verse, it may be a significant amount of time before we're teaching in the Old Testament, uh, because we we were going back and forth. We would do Genesis, Matthew, Exodus, Mark. We were doing that for a while, and then things happened, and we changed around. Right now, we're in two New Testament books of the Bible, uh, but you... Aren't, we aren't always emphasizing that. That that's so, so our commitment to teach the whole Bible means we're going to cover it all. And when you cover it all, you see how fascinating it really is. Uh, that when you re- read through the Old Testament, you understand that it's clarified in the New Testament. Uh, I think somebody, I think it might have been Norman Geiser said that the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, whereas the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. So why spend a lot of time on the tabernacle? Because it's a phenomenal picture of Jesus Christ. And it it was fitting to pause and understand how the group of Hebrew believers that wanted to go back to the Old Covenant, that wanted to go back to temple worship, that wanted to leave the superiority and sufficiency of Jesus Christ, they're actually doing so by being—it's an illogical decision. Because if they were to go back to the Old Covenant— The Old Covenant was pointing forward to the Messiah, which they already had. So if they fulfilled Judaism in its fullness, they would come to Jesus. But now that they're following Jesus, they want to go backwards to a system that's going to point them to Jesus. And I think Paul, I believe the author of the Hebrews, is magnificent in how he handles Jesus in the tabernacle and how he points him out. Because remember what happened in uh, what Jesus, what, what John tells us about Jesus in John one fourteen is that Jesus came and he dwelt among us. So that word could also be translated in, in a paraphrase type of way, tabernacled among us. He, he came and put on a human tent, if you will. But even the tabernacle in the o- Old Testament, the, it was temporary, used in the wilderness, humble in appearance, uh, the dwelling place, God's dwelling place among men providing the sacrifice for sin, all of those things that we looked at in the study, 
are pointing to Jesus. Uh, all of it. You, and, and it's you, you, you that are new to the Bible, this kind of stuff is so exciting. So put on your seatbelt. It's a fascinating study and the Lord's going to use it greatly in your life. That is good to know. With that, let's turn to Exodus 25 and Hebrews 9. Pastor Ed, once again. How can you come to know God? When you come back to the tabernacle, God is giving us instruction. You don't come to God in the ark through the law. That's not how you get there. You know how every time you see the law, what does it tell you? You failed, you failed, you failed, you failed. Thou shalt not, and you're like, that's all I shall do. You know, that's my life. And, and, and so you don't meet with God. God said, I'm not going to meet you in the ark. I'm going to meet you on the mercy seat. Very significant. That's where I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to speak to you on the mercy seat. Don't climb into the ark. Don't climb into that little box and, and wallow in your failure with the law. No, no, the law is a revealer that we need him at the mercy seat. And so you say, Ed, well, how does that point to Jesus Christ? <laughs> Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. This is so cool. This is where I love how the Bible is all tied together. One message, God's love for us, his redemptive love for us, how he sent Jesus to us so that we might have faith in him. Notice in 1 John chapter 2, in verse 2, you've got to mark this and cross-reference it with the mercy seat. Because there's a word here that we don't use very often, but I'm going to help define it for you. Pick up in verse 1, 1 John chapter 2. We're now thousands of years later. We are, John is a follower and a worshiper of Jesus Christ. And notice what he says. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's a declaration today that anybody can come to the Father through Jesus Christ. You don't have to go through a man. You don't have to go through a system. You don't have to go through a church. Everyone has equal access to the Father through Jesus Christ. There's only one advocate. There's only one mediator between God and man. He himself, notice verse 2, is the propitiation. Use that word at work lately? Propitiation. Well, here's what it means. Circle it right next to it. Mercy seat. It literally means atoning sacrifice, that Jesus Christ is our mercy seat. We don't need the Ark of the Covenant anymore because Jesus himself is our mercy seat. He is our propitiation for the sins, but not just our sins, but the sins of the whole world. God has made salvation available to whosoever will let him come. Whosoever, not just a little select group, not just a group that, hey, one group is already picked to go to heaven and everyone else is going to hell. The Bible's call through Jesus Christ is that anyone can be saved if they come to him today. Anyone. It's for the whole world. Everyone. From the very beginning, that was the God, heart of God. So Jesus is our purpose. He's the mercy seat. So in the building of the ark, where is God going to meet them in the tabernacle? On the mercy seat. On the lid, the mercy seat. Where is he going to speak to them? On the lid, which is called the mercy seat. Now check this out. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 1. It gets even better. If the only place, if the only place in the tabernacle, the only place on the whole planet that God is going to meet, deal with sin, and speak is on the mercy seat, well, check out Hebrews chapter 1. It's been a long time since we've been here, but notice in verse 1 what it says here. God, 
who in various times and in different ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, who happens to be the mercy seat that the mercy seat in the tabernacle was pointing to all along. How is he speaking to us today? By his son. Where do you meet God today? His son. Where do you hear from God today? His son. Just like it was in the old covenant. Just like it was in the tabernacle. It was all pointing to the coming of Messiah. A lot of believers have it backwards today, and I hope you don't. But a lot of believers have it backward. They kind of live their lives like, you know, I'll meet God in the ark. I'll keep the commandments. I'll keep the rules. I'll follow the regulations. Bypassing the mercy seat altogether. But while they're trying to keep the law and keep the commandments, they're frustrated. They're upset. They're self-condemning because they bypassed the mercy seat. A lot of times when you're trying to keep the law and you're so frustrated, you'll hear something like, well, I, I don't hear the voice of God. I don't hear from God anymore. I didn't get much out of that Bible study. I didn't really like worship. Why? Because you bypassed the mercy seat. God said that he will speak to you on the mercy seat. He said he'll speak to you through his son. Not going back to the law and say, okay, church, give me 10 things I'm supposed to do, and I'll do those 10 things. No, you won't. You probably won't even do five of them. Maybe two, very good, maybe. Because Jesus penned it much deeper, huh? He said it wasn't just our outward actions our heart. And I mean, like today you go, well, Ed, you don't know how bad I was. I used to cuss all the time. I don't cuss anymore, except in my head. Oh, okay. Well, thanks for not sharing it with us, but you're still cussing. You're still using the Lord's name in vain. Yeah, but you don't hear it, but you know it. Why? Because you can't keep an external law. Remember the theme of Hebrews is the superiority of Jesus Christ and the way that you enjoy the presence of Jesus Christ is by surrender. Where you just say, that's it. I acknowledge that I am unable to please God in my own energy, my own efforts. Even if today you go, well, I read the Bible more last week than, than I did the week before. Praise God, but you're not any closer to God. You're just enjoying it more. <laughs> it's just a good thing. I know I woke up this morning, I did some devos, but then the Lord was speaking to me, just get into the Word. So I was reading a devo book, and then he said, just get into the Word. And as I began to get into the Word, just reading through Isaiah, and then I went over to the Proverbs, I'm like, man, this is just so pure. It was just so pure. I I read the words of a man in a devotional, and that was good. You know, it started with a scripture, and then that was really good. But then when I turned to the scriptures, that's just pure good, man. (laughs) That's just like, that's just pure good of God speaking to my heart. We've got to meet him on the mercy seat. And today, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, not any religion, any system. It's powerful. Let's look at the next piece of furniture, the table of showbread. This one's a little easier to see in how it points to Jesus Christ. Some of you already know how it's going to point to him, but let's read in verse 23. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. You shall make for it a frame of a handbreadth all around. You shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. You shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings in the four corners that are at the four legs. 
The ring shall be close to the frame as the holders for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold, and the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and the bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. Again, we have greater insight on how to use this piece of furniture in Leviticus chapter 24. But basically, we learn that on the table were to be 12 loaves of bread, representing one each for the 12 tribes of Israel. And that it was to be changed out every Sabbath, and that bread that was taken off the table, the priests would then be able to eat for themselves. The bread was for them. And now, this is a very easy picture because Jesus would later on say it very directly, didn't he? He said, I am the bread of life. And so the bread on the tables reminded them of the table, by the way, that was made of acacia wood, speaking of humanity, overlaid in gold, speaking of deity and royalty. And now on top of that is the bread, as Jesus declares in John chapter 6, that he is the bread of life. The only place for spiritual nourishment is found in a relationship with him. He says, I'm the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger and shall never thirst. And the bread, we learn, had to be made a certain way. One of the ways that's most interesting is that, first of all, it was to be made with the best flour, fine flour. But also the fine flour then had to be ground and had to be pressed. In John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus gave us this teaching. He said, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. You see, Jesus went before us as this flower points to his absolute surrender to the Father's will, being ground, if you will, to the point of death as a seed put into the ground. And without the death of Jesus Christ, there would be no fruit in the world today. Which leads me to something I know that is troubling for many today. It's very hard for many within the body of Christ. And that is, there are many listening to me right now that have a hard time with denying themselves. An unwillingness to deny yourself. The greatest problem in our lives that leads to the most sin is our self-centeredness and our unwillingness to deny ourselves. Did you know that denying yourself is so important that Jesus, when he calls us to follow him, I mean, if he was here today to say, who wants to follow him? I know. If I did a simple survey here and I said, hey, let's do a hand clap or a yell. Who wants to follow Jesus? The room, the roof will go. It'll just say, hey, yeah, of course, yes, yes, yes. Everybody wants to follow. Nobody wants to deny. But do you know the condition of following Jesus is number one, deny yourself. So you could say that if if and when you're not denying yourself, you're not following Jesus. Oh, I don't mean a salvation statement. I mean a discipleship statement. When you and I assert ourselves, which we do far too often, we have stunted our spiritual growth, denying ourselves. And unless we misunderstand him, Jesus gives the second step, doesn't he? He says, if you want to follow me, number one, deny yourself. And then secondly, take up your cross. Talk about a misused verse in the Bible. This has got to be one of them. And if I hear another guy come to me and say, well, Pastor Ed, I'm just carrying my cross. You know, I married her. 
No, man, she is not your cross. And all the ladies are happy. Ladies, you know what I mean too. He is not your cross to bear. No, we have minimized the statement of Jesus. In the audience of the time of Jesus, when he stated this, he only stated the first part in a much deeper way because the cross meant one thing and one thing only. Utter death. It's not just the denial of ourselves, but it's our dying to self. And that's a great barrier to spiritual growth today. We just are so caught up in pleasing ourselves. Instant gratification. Give me what I want. I'll be happy if life goes the way I want it to go. And just this unwilling, I wonder how many marriages today would benefit from one or both of you denying yourself before each other. Just benefit. It may not solve all your problems, but it's going to put you on the way. We give sometimes in really difficult uh, marriages, sometimes we give this handout, we gave it out at the marriage retreat last year, of an article that I picked up, or really a, a commentary by Pastor John Corson, where he shared that in marriage, he says, somebody's got to die. And to some of you, like, I've been saying that for a long time. Don't even think that way, because he means it spiritually. In order for your marriage to make progress, somebody's got to die to themselves. And he goes on to explain it. If you want a copy of it, email me. I'll find it and email it to you. And uh, just remind me of it. If you're on the radio right now, you could email me at Pastor Ed, uh, Pastor Ed at CalvaryAurora.org, and uh, I'll respond to that with a copy of the PDF. And I wonder how many marriages, I wonder how many single people could just be stronger in their contentment if you learn to deny yourself and take up the cross. You know, in our day and age, in our Western culture of Christianity, there aren't a lot of people dying literally for the gospel. It is happening around the world, even as I speak. It's happening so much, and so much news comes to us that we don't even feel it anymore. But literally, dozens upon dozens of men and women are dying because of their faith in Jesus Christ all around the world. Even as we just recently seen the churches being blown up. Why? Because they're Christians. And so because we're not facing that kind of persecution, God has called us to a different challenge. And I think that if we ask, how many of you would be willing to die for Christ? Yes, I'd be willing to die. But that's not really anything you're facing. So it's easy to say yes to that. Because it probably won't happen. It probably won't happen for most of us. Maybe some of us, but not most of us. So what is God calling us in such a rich, generous culture that we're in? He's calling us to the life of denial of self so that we can live for Christ. I think we'd get the same response. I'm willing to live for Christ, but that is played out day by day, isn't it? And it's a ironic, God is often ironic. He uses irony, so it's such a paradox. But see, if you want to live for Christ... You've got to die to yourself. That's the only way. And here's the bread of life. Ground flour. Jesus going all the way to the cross. We've got to come to that place like Paul did when he said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And there's the table. 12 loaves of bread. 
reminding the priests of their service and commitment to the people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel, pointing them and us to Jesus Christ, the bread of life, the life that's lived after first dying to ourselves. Let's get to the final piece of furniture today in verse 31. This is the golden lampstand, often referred to as the menorah, or the candelabra we might refer to it as. You shall now also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. Six branches shall come out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower and three bowls made like all almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower and so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand, verse 34. On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs, their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be of hammered piece of pure gold, shall make seven lamps for it, arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. Its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold and with all these utensils and to see it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Be precise and detailed. We don't know how big this, uh, this lampstand was, but considering that it was made out of 75 pounds of pure gold, it was probably pretty big, 75 pounds, which reminded me, where did they get all this gold? The people gave the gold. Where did the people get it from? They got it from Egypt. We spent the whole time last week, remember we, our last study, learning how God uses us as a conduit, that nothing that, that nothing that we have belongs to us. It all belongs to God. And here they are, 75 pounds of pure gold. Remember they brought so much stuff, Moses said, don't bring any more. Now one of you wise guys last week put into the offering box a non-gold earring. We know because we melted it down. We thought, no, no. One of you wise guys put an earring in there because it said earrings and thank you for not putting your nose ring in there. But somebody felt like, hey, man, this, if that's what they want, that's what God wants, that's what I give. But can you imagine what it was like for them? All the things that they valued, all the things that they, were, they thought they were going to keep, actually God gave it to them for a greater purpose. And I think that's so encouraging to be a part of a greater purpose. 75 pounds of gold is being used here to make this candelabra, this menorah, the only source of light in the tabernacle. This one too is easy to see how, Jesus, how it points to Jesus because Jesus said that he is the light of the world. He said that very specifically. And as he shares that he is, like the, like the menorah in the tabernacle as being the only source of light, Jesus too is the only source of light in this world today. No religion, no guru, no teacher, no philosophy, Nothing gives light to this world but Jesus Christ. Everything else is darkness, as good as it may sound. 
We're going through Hebrews one verse at a time with Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Before we part ways, just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Ed Taylor or Calvary Church. See if this sounds familiar. You come across an atheist or non-believer that has some questions about Christianity or the Bible. It's about that time you scratch your head in confusion and don't know what to say. Well, allow Ron Rhodes to help in a book called Five-Minute Apologetics for Today. The book is short, giving you one-page answers to common questions and objections. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as a way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, our number, 877-30-GRACE. You may not realize this, but we are listener-supported, and each dollar that's sent is an investment in God's work and responsibly used. You'll be helping people all across the nation grow in their relationship with the Lord and, in some cases, come to Christ. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Don't miss our next study in Hebrews. It's going to be a good one. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.